Hi, I'm Jennifer Napier, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. This is Amy J, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams, episode number 84. 84 down, and we're still having a great time, and I'm still bringing my friends on. So today, my friend Jennifer A. Napier is on the show, and she went to UMBC with me, which is the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. She was a pre-med biology major, and eight years later, she found herself graduating from law school and studying for the Maryland bar exam. This past January 2017 marked 10 years since Jennifer was admitted to the Maryland Bar. She began her legal career as a staff attorney for the nonprofit House of Ruth Domestic Violence Legal Clinic, representing victims of domestic violence in protective order, peace order, and family law proceedings. After four years there, Jennifer moved on to the Maryland Department of Labor, Licensing, and Regulation, where she conducted unemployment insurance appeal hearings as a hearing examiner. In October 2015, Jennifer was appointed as an administrative law judge for the Maryland Office of Administrative Hearings, and she now conducts hearings in contested cases involving over 30 state agencies and over 500 types of hearings. And she's here on the show today, took some time out from her busy life and probably the very small free time she has to talk with us and share her story. So Thank you, Jennifer, for taking that time to share what's happening with you. How are you? I'm great, and thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. I know we talked about doing this some time ago, so I'm glad we're finally getting there. Yeah, you know, um, the show, guess what? Man, now I'm looking. 84 episodes ago, I want to say it was probably around episode 10 that I asked if you wanted to be on the show. You had said yes, but you wanted a little bit more time under your belt. Right, right. And you were trying to, and this is when she had become an administrative law judge, an ALJ. And now here you are, 2017. How is it? Is it what you thought it would be? It's what I thought it it would be and more. We cover so much ground in terms of subject matter that, even now, like I'll, I'll see something on the, the docket uh, for a colleague and I'll say, oh, what is that case you have? And I'm like, oh, we do that, too. Like, I'm still like finding out like there are things that we do. Like we um, the Office of Administrative Hearings, we're responsible for um, hearing cases that um, arise out of actions taken by state agencies. So, for instance, um, the Motor Vehicle Administration when they have proposed suspension of a license for various reasons, um, we handle those cases or the Department of Social Services, um, child abuse and neglect cases or public assistance cases from them, or even the Department of Safety and Correctional Services, we hear inmate grievances. So um, one of the cases that I found out not too long ago, we hear 
um, having to do with the Department of Natural Resources are people who do illegal oyster harvesting. Wait, really? Like, yeah, really. Wow. Like there's so many things. So I'm someone that loves learning about different things. Like even if it's just picking up odd facts or, you know, learning about processes, about things that have nothing to do with my regular life. I enjoy that. So I've been enjoying that journey and, you know, learning about all these different areas of law and not just the law, but, you know, these different just areas of life. Like, I don't know anything about harvesting oysters or um, just any, anything having to do with the Department of uh, Natural Resources, really. So, you know, it's, it's been nice. It's been exciting. And I'm hoping that maybe one day I can take all this extra random knowledge and maybe win some money on Jeopardy or something. I don't know. But <laughs> now, see, hold on before, because that, that may actually scare some people that you're hearing cases about oysters that you know nothing about. What do you do in that kind of a situation? Well, see, you don't have to know anything about the law as it pertains to the subject area, but not the actual subject area. That's the job of the parties. Um, usually there are attorneys on both sides to present all the facts that have to do with, um, you know, the, that area. So, for instance, when I say I don't know anything about harvesting oysters, the case isn't coming down to how you actually go about harvesting the oysters and how the nets are used. But those are all things that just come out in the course of presenting the case. So it doesn't hinge on, you know, do you have to go out three feet or five feet to catch the most, most oysters? But that's something that you learn in the course of hearing the case on, on top of hearing, you know, the actual legal issue. I got it. So they may bring witnesses or people who are experts to talk about that subject matter, but you're the expert on the law underneath. Exactly. It's that's, I mean, I'm going to backtrack because that's, that's where you are today, but you know, circa, I don't want to go and name numbers or years, but <laughs> circa UMBC years. Was that always on your radar? Cause Pre-med biology isn't typically a common um, precursor to law school. It wasn't on my radar at all. I, I grew up wanting to go into the sciences. Actually, I grew up specifically wanting to be a doctor from the time I was in about the first grade. I went to high school, um, Eleanor Roosevelt in Greenbelt, Maryland, um, and I was in a science and technology program. Um, so I, I went to UMBC with every intention of being a pediatrician. And then I took organic chemistry too. And I knew that there was more chemistry ahead of me if that was the path I wanted to take. And I honestly could not bear the thought of it. I, at that point, I realized I didn't want to be a doctor badly enough to suffer through more chemistry classes. I think Orgo too has been placed on curriculums for the sole factor of weeding out who truly wants to go into med school and who was like, eh, you know what? No. No, you might be joking, but you're absolutely I, right. Because I, I I've think had this is. conversation with other people right? and they'll say, or goes is what got me too. yeah. Physics, so uh, physics, right. I think does it for some other people, but yeah, or go to, I remember that was like uh, the bane of everyone's existence. Yeah. So like I'm that rare lawyer that actually can do math pretty well. Like I took calculus and statistics in 
high school and then I took more calculus in college because, you know, again, that's the path I thought I was going to be on. Um, but then, well, and actually I wanted to apply as a psychology major, but I thought I was being practical and being a bio major because most of the prerequisites for being pre-med were in the biology major. So I was trying to be um, efficient. Um, so what I did was when I realized this isn't quite for me, I already had biology credits all the way up through genetics. Um, and UMBC had a bio psych track so that I didn't have to take um, any longer than four years to graduate. I just kind of refocused myself and did the biology um, and psychology track. And it worked out I, because psychology was also something I was really interested in um, studying. And in the course of doing that, of course, you have electives. So mm-hmm. I took a constitutional law class and I took a business law and ethics class which I absolutely loved. Um, and then I was thinking, well, so what are you going to do now? And, you know, people had always said to me, oh, you know, you, you're very um, logical. You should be a lawyer. And, you know, I'm like, what are you talking about? You, you know, I'm into the sciences and I'm going to be a doctor, whatever. But then I was kind of like, I think I do have some strengths there and I enjoy the subject matter. And, you know, next thing I know, I ended up in law school. And so you actually took some time and, you know, while you seemed initially hesitant, it seems from what you're saying, uh, gave it consideration, huh? Going to law school. Cause that's LSATs. It's a whole new, uh, four years, three, four years, depending on how you do it. And then a whole yeah. new area. And you were okay with that? I was, well, and it wasn't all at once. I, um, when I graduated from UMBC, I actually had applied to law schools. Um, but, I decided to take a year off after UMBC, and I worked at, for a session at the Maryland House of Delegates for the Environmental Matters Committee, um, which, you know, wasn't directly working with the lawyers, even though there were lawyers on the committee. But, you know, you're there where the law is made and um, getting to observe that process. And um, that was really interesting. And I was saying, OK, I still think I want to do this. So. You know, after um, talking to some people, which it's funny, every lawyer I talked to actually told me not to go to law school. Um, not not anything particular to me, but just don't do it. And I find myself now telling people that want to go to law school, don't go to law school. But, you know, it's, um, even if someone tells you that, that's a decision that you have to make for yourself. You know, whether or not you think you really are going to enjoy being in that field and... Um, you know, if there's a career that can, you can build upon the degree. Sure. And I, I'm glad you came to that realization yourself, because oftentimes people seem to go into fields for someone else. And it just feel like they struggle more, like it's, it's more torturous for them. Absolutely, because if you're not taking any joy or at least interest in what you're um, something that you're trying to undertake like that, especially we're talking at least three years maybe four, um, that's a long period of time to not really be into the thing that you're focusing probably 80% of your time on. And not to mention uh, a lot of costs. Money. Yes. Yes. It's true, folks. It costs money to go to law school and it costs money when you come out. Yes. And it costs money probably for the foreseeable future after you come off. I, I used to call, um, 
my law degree would hang on my wall and I'd say, oh, that's my mortgage right there because it's not far off from what I pay for my mortgage actually now. Right. We can attest those uh, TV shows that you see are not the norm. It's not the majority of cases. You do not make six figures when you come out of law school. It's a very small portion of people that do. And did you think that, did you believe what people said about uh, how much you make when you come out of law school or did you kind of understand that it wasn't going to be the case? Yes and no. And I'm glad you said, made that uh, comment. I knew that it wouldn't be six figures, um, especially since I was someone, I'm very big on a work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So I knew I didn't want to go to a big law firm, which is pretty much the only place you're going to make that kind of money um, coming right out of school. Which is why um, you see it all on TV I, shows. Exactly. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I still thought I was going to make more than I did coming out, even if I hadn't gone into nonprofit, which I guess we'll get to that. But that wasn't necessarily what I expected, um, you know, to go into nonprofit. But even going to a small firm, these law schools, they give you these statistics about what the median salary is. Um, and they give you this statistic about how many people have found employment mm-hmm. um, nine months after graduating. And it's really kind of a scam. I want to say that I went to Seton Hall. I, want, I remember the statistics for the median salary. I believe it was like 88000 which was also far off. And it's probably still far off um, because I don't even think there are enough people on that high end to kind of artificially pull it up to eighty eight. Yeah. Um, I'm like that. What was the sample size for that? Because I'm not sure I believe it. Exactly. So going in, though, I thought I would be making closer to that, you know, if I went into private practice and it just wasn't that I was working at a law firm um, prior to graduating when I was still in Jersey. And um, I was offered a job there and it was going to be like less than forty thousand dollars. So that that's kind of misleading, which is part of the reason why I tell people either not to go to law school. And that's usually the person that's collecting degrees and they just want it to add to their collection and not because they particularly want to be a lawyer or want to do something where the law degree really matters. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the very least, I say do a cost benefit analysis. Look at how much you're going to be spending, you know, to undertake this um, schooling, and then look at how much you think you're going to be making when you come out, what you think that loan payment is going to be, and if it's really worth it. That's a very good piece of advice and, and can be used for actually not just law school, for med school, for uh, farm school, all extra education. You guys should Absolutely. strongly consider that because it's not necessarily the path for you if you don't actually review it from all points of views. Absolutely. I mean, because so Jen, you came out, and I remember having conversations, <coughs> excuse me, with you during uh, your time at the House of Ruth, and you were there what four years or something like that. Yeah. How four did you years. find that job? It was really rewarding. It was exhausting, but it was rewarding. Um, and I assume that, for to some extent, all nonprofits have a problem with high turnover, just because when you're coming out, of, especially having to do um, with the legal profession, because when you're coming out of school with all that debt, you just can't afford to be there too long, typically, unless I'm sure there's some people that, you know, if 
Um, they're in a two income household where, you know, the other person is making so much money that it, you know, doesn't really affect them um, in terms of finances. And maybe you can't stay in a um, nonprofit for a while. But um, because of the high turnover, I was always doing my job and somebody else's job, you know, because there was somebody that wasn't there. So um, it was exhausting for that reason, but it was rewarding because um, we were serving victims of domestic violence um, who were typically, not always, but typically also low income. So um, you know, we were helping them get out of what usually was a very dangerous situation. It was more than being a lawyer, really. It was like two thirds being a lawyer and maybe like a third almost like being a social worker because you're helping them get services that they need um, and really rebuild their lives. Uh, maybe sometimes having to find alternative housing if they live with an abusive partner. Um, around the holidays, um, yeah, there was a really good program, Adopt a Family, where, you know, you help get uh, gifts for the family um, because, you know, it's already traumatic enough, a family breaking up possibly, um, having to deal with violence and perhaps counseling, at least to have maybe one bright point during the holidays is significant for people. And, you know, people really appreciate that you care. And it was, they, it's not like we were giving flat screen TV, sure. but yeah, but you know, to have people appreciate and really say, you know, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I, you know, just getting a, a card, you know, especially since you never get anything in the mail now anyway, like I used to get like, you know, thank you, physical thank you cards, you know, and it meant the world mm -hmm. because, you know, I knew that I really had made a difference for this person. Um, and that was great. And that was the part that I hated to leave behind, you know, the, the long hours and, um, you know, feeling maybe a little overworked sometimes, not so much, but, um, you know, the clients, you know, that was the rewarding part because also it was, there weren't billable hours, so they're not getting charged. So normally when an attorney um, has a client, you know, they're billing by, um, what is it, a tenth of an hour, um, you know, for their time, even talking on the phone. Well, these clients, they're not getting billed, so they'll just talk to you, you know, and not just about, you know, their case, but, you know, what's going on in their life. So, you know, I got to have like relationships with mm -hmm. these people too, um, and so it was, it was probably the best thing I've done in my career. And now, actually, speaking of your career, did you, because, you know, when we spoke during those times, you know, people were considering jobs. We were talking about our friends and, and the struggles they were having in finding jobs and careers and how some people would take jobs wherever they could find it, doc review uh, as temporary sustenance for, for what they wanted, um, you know, back and forth, finding just something to give them some kind of uh, income for the time being. But here you are at House of Ruth. At that point, you know, you have a job. Did you have a career path planned out? Because, you know, even then, you could have gone any number of ways. Not at all. I, I feel like often, and it, it depends on the person, but for me, like, Goals and dreams are very fluid. Like they they change. Um, the circumstances help to shape them, um, and then sometimes it's just about being flexible too. 
So, I mean, I went into law school thinking after having taken that business law and ethics class, I thought I was going to want to be like in-house counsel somewhere or deal with contracts or do some kind of corporate law. I took both contracts and business associations. I hated both those classes. <laughs> um, so after that, I, the law firm that I clerked for when I was in law school was a small family law firm. Um, and I realized doing that work that I really wanted to um, be in an area of the law where, where the subject matter mattered to the client personally. So not a real estate um, type deal where, you know, we're dealing with someone's property. Of course, you know, people care about their property, but, you know, what's more personal to someone than, you know, the people around them, their children, mm-hmm. um, you know, their, their relationships. So um, that was kind of how I, I at least knew I wanted to get into family law. And, and um, also when I happened to be at this small firm, for some reason, and I won't say what the police department was, but we had a lot of clients who were the spouses of um, police officers in a, poli- a particular police department that had domestic violence issues. Hmm. Um, and although we weren't dealing with the protective orders or peace orders, or in Jersey might be a restraining order, um, for those clients, I still saw those issues. Right. And so that experience kind of put me on the path to House of Ruth. Um, and then when I was at House of Ruth, I had um, a friend that I worked with. She left and she went to unemployment. Um, and so just in talking to her, you know, she told me how much she enjoyed the job. And um, about 18 months after she left, uh, p- positions um, became open. And I decided, okay, well, you know, let me look into this. Let me see what this is like. And that was how I ended up at unemployment, which was rewarding in a different way. Nothing's ever going to be the same as House of Ruth, where it was a direct impact and I was directly solving, you know, a problem and advocating sure, um, yeah. for my clients. But with unemployment, I, I heard unemployment cases for the state of Maryland. And um, it felt good when you could right or wrong, when there was someone that should be getting unemployment. Um, and for whatever reason, they were unjustly denied it. And, you know, you make that decision and um, they were then going to be able to get those benefits, which honestly, in Maryland, the highest amount you can get is $430 a week. But it's still, you know, it meant everything to someone that's down on their luck and, you know, needs the income. Um, so that felt good. And even those people that even if they seemed like great people and just the law wasn't on their side. So um, I couldn't make a finding that they were due benefits. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will say, you know, not even knowing what the decision was because you gave out a written decision, um, you know, after the hearing, Um, but they would even say, you know, thank you for listening to me or, you know, I feel like you really heard what I had to say. And for a lot of people, you know, of course the money's probably more important, but, Feeling heard sure. is it's huge. Like, because can you imagine, you know, if you feel like, you know, you're down on your luck and people aren't even paying attention to me or they're not hearing what I have to say or they don't realize, you, you know, that these things you acknowledge are going them. On. Yeah, yeah. So and I and I get that same type of um, benefit from being an ALJ because it while it's not always unemployment, you know, it's various different areas, but still there are people that 
they're just happy that someone listened to them and was respectful. Um, because unfortunately, not every, like any professional, not every lawyer or judge is personable, nice, or respectful. You know, some people have big heads and, you know, so some people have had bad experiences with other judges. Um, not, probably not in my office because luckily we have a great group of people that, um, are very, um, understanding and personable, but, you know, I definitely have come in front of judges where I'm like, Ooh, you're just unnecessarily nasty or condescending. And, you know, that's not what anybody needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's good to be able to, um, at least let people have their day and have the, you know, the opportunity to be heard. Right. It's, it's almost that, that saying that you hear, you know, you gave them their day in court, you gave them a chance to feel as though they were uh, appreciated, acknowledged and considered. Exactly. So now that you're here though, now that you're an AL judge, uh, are there any new aspirations for you or are you happy doing what you're doing? I feel like right, well, one, I, it's been about a year and a half since I've been there. So I feel like I have a lot more room to grow mm-hmm. where I am now. And I also kind of feel like I need to fill it out because I can easily see retiring from here. But, you know, I might either stumble upon something else um, unexpectedly or um, I might just decide, OK, you know, I'm I'm ready to do something different. Um, but honestly, the only thing in the legal profession I could see doing is maybe when the administration changes uh, federally uh, working as an ALJ, but um, maybe, maybe not just yet, but yeah, maybe, maybe, well, and I think there's a hiring freeze, but that's neither here nor there. But um, yeah, I mean, actually to tell you the truth, if when I was looking for jobs, between the House of Ruth and going to unemployment, unemployment, besides a few federal um, positions as an attorney, unemployment was the only job I applied for that was in the legal field. I was ready to do something else then. So um, I'm, I'm very open in terms of um, the future and where that might lead me. And see, that's, that's really cool that you have that open mindset because sometimes, you know, we settle and we're happy with what we have and where we are. And, you know, it sounds like you still have room to grow or learn or expand your role at the ALJ. Um, Do you find that you're able to get that work-life balance that you wanted, that you're able to leave the cases you've worked on behind when you walk out the door? Because I, and let me actually also ask that for, you while you were at the House of Ruth? Because sometimes I think as lawyers, people think it's easy for us to turn things on and off. And I'm not sure that was always the case. What is that the case or what for you? At the House of Ruth, there was kind of two stages in my career at the House of Ruth. One was much more short-lived. For maybe the first nine months, I was only um, litigating protective orders and peace orders, which it's like a restraining order if you're in another state. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are a fairly quick turnaround. Those are short term clients. So 
Um, for instance, someone gets their temporary order and then seven days later you have their final hearing um, for the, it's not really a permanent order, but it was an order for a year. Um, and after that, for the most part, unless there was some other issue, I never um, interacted with those clients again. So that was a little easier to um, leave in the office mm-hmm. because it wasn't ongoing. Well, but good. when I started um, with the long-term cases, which were divorce and custody, um, those types of cases, it was it wasn't completely um, it wasn't completely difficult to kind of switch it on and off. But I thought about it more because, like, I, there are clients that probably the whole about three years that I was dealing with the long term cases were with me, mm-hmm. so you know, I talk to them every day or every other day. And, you know, I might worry about them depending on, you know, if they had had some type of incident or there was something going on with them, um, you know, of concern. So that was a little harder to turn on and off. And especially if you're preparing for, you know, this trial and, you know, this isn't just like one day you prepare and then you go into court, you know, over weeks you're collecting evidence, you're doing discovery and you're interviewing people, you know, it, it's at the back of your mind, if nothing else, you know, just sure, like you're focused on anything. it. And just like with anything, if you're thinking about, okay, what do I have to do for the week? Even if it's at home, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, I've got to take out the trash and I've got to pay this bill, you know, just the same way you might have those thoughts while you're at work. Well, when you're at home, you I, at least personally, I would think of it, of my clients and maybe what was going on and what I had to prepare for when I was home. Sure. And, I, and that makes sense. A, and not enough to be a distraction, but the thoughts were there. Right. So while you didn't turn it off fully, it wasn't like black and white on off. It was more of a gray. You could tone it down and continue happily in your personal life, but it was present. Exactly. So then when you... When you're doing things today versus uh, your time at the House of Ruth, and this is more uh, a look at the life of a lawyer and the journey that we have, did you have? Would you say you have more of a an outside social personal life now versus law school and versus when you first came out? Like, how did that change? And was that kind of related or dependent upon the job you had? You know, I think really it's about the same. It's the same but different. The for lack of a better word, like the level or I guess the amount of socializing I do, mm-hmm. it's probably about the same, but it's different in that, you know, the people around me are also in different places. So, you know, you have people with families um, and people with jobs where they really don't have the time to socialize um, and people with kids. So I think I think the big difference for me now is, and it's not because of my job, it's because of the people around me, um, is that I probably, I spend time with, you know, group A, you know, one weekend, and then during the week I spend time with group B, mm-hmm. you know, and it's more because, you know, everyone just has so many things going on that whoever's available, you know, that's kind of where I'm socializing, where we when up. I was younger and when I first got out of school, you know, everybody, you know, didn't have as many responsibilities. So 
I did see the same people, right? Um, you know, more consistently. So I think that's part of just getting older is um, finding new ways to maintain those relationships and, you know, to keep in touch, even if it's saying, okay, we're going to make a point of getting together once a month, you know, for dinner and just kind of having that being like a standing appointment just to make sure you get in that FaceTime with, you know, that friend or what have you. But see, what I love about that is, one, you've adapted to a changing situation, right? And you guys are finding some way. And, you know, with technology today, there really isn't a lot of reasons one could give to not be able to maintain a relationship. But the difference is that you're making an effort. And I think sometimes we forget as you get older, sometimes it takes a little bit more effort than it used to. And through no fault of anyone's, it's just life as you get older. Because we talked earlier about how, um, you know, Facebook has helped keep in touch with other people and with each other and even us and what's going on with each other's life. And I think sometimes we forget that, like people get lost in and chasing their dream and doing what they want, that they forget about their friends and family. And you got to put the effort in. Absolutely. And at least for me personally, like the people around me are, imp- are an important part of my life. So you know, while I have my professional pursuit, really, like, yes, I'm a judge and, you know, I do love the job that I do, but that's not even like the end all be all for me. You know, I, I work because I have to, because I have to pay bills. And unfortunately, you know, I haven't hit the lottery yet, but, you know, it's actually all those other things that the income allows me to do, you know, visit to see family and friends and, you know, be there for important moments. Like I have a um, nephew that he's graduating high school, you know, this year. And, you know, I can't wait to, you know, be there for that. Um, Or, you know, the birth of, you know, my friends and family, their children, you know, being able to be there for that and not be working, you know, a hundred hours a week or, you know, 80 hours a week, I guess is more um, reasonable, but, you know, not, always consumed with work. Um, I think you have to have balance. Like I said before, work-life balance is huge to me. Um, and probably something, something more people should, should think about. And that's not a, it's not a knock on anyone who isn't able to have a work-life balance, but, you know, take time to see if you actually do have some kind of balance. Cause I think too much of one or the other, or you could stress out, right? If you go one way or the other, fall apart. Absolutely. And self-care is really important. Taking time, taking time for yourself just by yourself is important. There are some times when I'll take a day off and don't tell anybody I had the day off of work. Like the only people that know I was off are, the, are my coworkers, maybe, you know, if they happen to look at the schedule. Um, and, you know, you just have peace and quiet and you can do anything you want for yourself. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It might be treating yourself to lunch or when it's nice out you know, taking a leisurely stroll, you know, around the park and getting some ice cream or might be sitting on the couch and, you know, binge watching whatever your favorite thing to binge watch is. Um, but just, just having some some time to kind of collect your thoughts and quality, have quality time with yourself. I think that, that is brilliant. people um, don't really, um, don't think about that. You yeah. know, so many of us are so focused on others and, you know, seeing about our parents and, you know, saving up our days off for holidays, activities and 
Exactly. Graduations. I, you know, hey, I never thought of taking a day off for myself. That is like, I mean, I've heard of mental health day, but that's a genius thing. Taking a day off for yourself and not telling anyone. Yeah. If you can manage it, it's a little harder if you live with someone and what have you, but if you, if you can manage it, I, I definitely recommend it. Right. So don't do it and break relationships and, and things like that. Guys don't lie to people, but right. if you can manage it and it doesn't hurt you further. Yes. Don't get in the car and drive off and, you know, wait for your spouse to leave and then come back because then that just looks shady. And then you, it's a bigger thing than it has to be. And you're right? explaining because it and, is and they might. And then when you say I was just trying to spend quality time with myself, eh, they might not believe you. But, you know, if you could just tell your spouse and not tell anyone else <laughs> or, you know, or if you don't have that person to kind of, you know, Report check to. in with. Yeah. Then, Exactly. You can find exactly. a way is what, what, what she's saying, I believe. Uh, you figure it out. Think about it. Plan ahead <laughs> and all that. Now, no one's looking for anything from you, you know, because often if you say, oh, I'm going to be off on Monday, you know, someone might say, oh, good. Well, can you help me with mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah? And then, you know, depending on who you are, I'm, I'm working on being able to say no um, without being apologetic for it. Some people are great at that, um, and, and that's good, but I'm still working on that. So it's particularly important for me to time to time take off and not tell anybody. Yeah, I, I don't think I learned um, how to effectively say no till um, actually I started working with my uh, friend at the time, um, Andy McKinney, who gave me some great advice that helped me in actually doing that. So. It is a skill that takes time, guys, to work on it. So start working on it if it's a struggle for you. But before we wrap up, the one I have to ask you the one question that we usually wrap up with, Jen, is what is one action you would tell a dream chaser to take today? That's a very good question. I, you know, I, every now and then I can come up with a question. I would say that I would tell your dream chasers to no matter what stage you are in chasing your dream or um, what your current pursuit is, be the best at whatever you're doing. If right now you're saving up to go to the school of your choice and you're just a cashier somewhere, be the best cashier you can be. You know, if you are working, you know, in a clerical position, do that and, and be the best that you can possibly be because you never know who's looking. Um, you know, there might be someone that can help you out that it's in your chosen field or is um, along that path to what, because let's face it, dreams aren't always having to do with your career, but it might be somebody, you know, that is in a position to help you. And if you impress them, even if it's something unrelated to what they do. So let's say, you know, they just see that you're dedicated. That might be enough to say, Hey, you know, you know, what, what is it you're interested in doing? And then it starts a conversation and they say, Oh, really? Well, I do that. And, you know, let me see if I can help you. And and you just never know who's watching. So just, just be the best at whatever you're doing. And I think it goes a long way. I love that. And I think it's true. I mean, don't be arrogant about it or a jerk. 
please don't do that, but do the, be the best. I think that's great advice, Jen, because the, so are you saying in all aspects in regardless of what the task or, or whatever you're doing at that moment, do your best exactly. to be your best? If it, if you have to do it anyway, why be mediocre? You know, do the best, try to stand out. Yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. That was fantastic. So Jen, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day and your free time that you have to come on the show, share your story of your journey of how you came to become an ALJ and enjoy it and love what you're doing. And we appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me. It's been fun. And folks, that was Jennifer Napier. She's an awesome friend. She's an awesome person. And she is doing amazing things as an ALJ and just in life in general. And I hope you guys will take her words to heart, regardless of whatever you're doing, be the best at that. I mean, don't be arrogant and a jerk, but be the best at it humbly and know that somebody is seeing that. Okay. So take that advice, run with it. You guys can find all the show notes for this episode over at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 84. That's episode 84. And until next time, guys, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Keep chasing.